Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to a High Voltage Radio Network podcast. Find more at HighVoltageRadio.com. Mad balls, mad balls, gross for one, gross for all. We play with a mad ball, they're gross, funny, yucky, sick. There's eight, so you can take your pick. We throw, catch, it's uh-oh fun. There's so much gross in every one. Freaky fun is what they're for. There's so much ugly, so much more. Gross for one, gross for all. We play with a mad ball. We play with a mad ball. We play with a mad ball. Mad ball. Freaky fun for everyone, sold separately from Amtoy. Mad ball. Autobots, transform! <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of Masters of the Retroverse. I am your host, Adam, and today we've got a special guest because, number one, he's my first guest on the show, but number two, he is connoisseur, I guess you could say, of video games. I have on the line with me, Brian Mock. Hey, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? You guys might recognize him. Or not, from Zpoc Nation Podcast. Uh, he also has a new audio drama that's really kick-ass called Beyond the Fallout. So if you're a fan of the video game, go uh, download his his uh, audio drama. Thanks, man. Yeah, there's three things in this world I love. That's zombies, survival, and video games, in any order. My, yeah. my family falls in there somewhere, but... <laughs> So why not do all three plus podcasting? I know you've uh, you've definitely had your bouts with podcasting. You've been like me. You've been podcasting for a few years, and it's kind of in your blood. Yeah, yeah, off and on. I mean, you know, trying to keep things going with work and everything else. And but the the big thing here is, I feel like I've walked out of out of like a like a space pod, and I'm looking around at this weird world where everything's triangular shaped and neon colored and. <laughs> It looks like the '90s here, Adam. I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, know what we're doing here. That's the studio. You know, it, it is eight bit. Uh, everything. It, it almost is... looks like the library from the Breakfast Club. Yeah, it is. It, only, only in my, Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing, right? I mean, we're we have uh, what the PlayStation Four, the Xbox One. There's a new Nintendo coming out, and now the most popular games look like eight bit NES games. Yeah, and you're playing them on 4K Ultra HD TVs. Three D. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I, right before we started uh, talking, I was playing a little game from uh, Yacht Club called Shovel Knight, which is like a really like true-to-form classic NES-style game. You play like, a little knight, and you fight monsters with your shovel, and it's kind of got like DuckTales from the NES with like yeah. a pogo stick mechanic. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, a little bit of Mega Man. You pick which, uh, instead of Robot Master, I guess it's like a, a knight that you want to go after, like King Knight or Plague Knight. Um, so it's got little essences of old NES games sprinkled throughout it. And it was, I mean, lots of publications, IGN, a couple other places, named it Game of the Year when it came out uh, two years ago, I think, when it originally came out. So wow. this this 8-bit retro look is is starting to make a resurgence. It's almost kind of like a hipster art form now. It is. It is. And there's another game, too, I keep seeing the advertisements for, uh, but I, I, I just, I'm not going to fork out the six bucks to buy it. I forgot what it's called, but it's kind of like that. It's a, it's a Mario-esque style um, where you're like, but you, you're like digging in the ground, and I, I don't know, it was crazy. Uh, you know Steam World about? Dig? No, no. Um, I don't know. I'd have to find it. 
but it was it was kind of along those lines and and you know like you're saying everything's going back it's going retro you know everything's trying to emulate that that old style which you know is is great and all but why not why not go with the advancements of technology and i mean okay so do you remember you remember the NES you had the NES i'm sure you played a ton of uh, games on that but do you remember when the Super NES came out or the Sega came out? It was 16-bit. Oh, absolutely. Like, the Bit Wars. It was like, holy crap, look at the graphics on this thing. You know, you actually had more than, like, eight colors. And yeah, I mean, you had uh, Super Nintendo with their Mode 7, you know, where they could make things get bigger and smaller to give the illusion of foreground and background. Yeah. You know, and Sega is like, oh, well, what do we have? Well, we have blast processing, whatever whatever that is. Uh you know, seemingly making things go faster, like Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you're talking to your parents, and I have the NES, and I'm, I ended up defecting and went Sega. The, the blast processing got me. I tell my parents, oh, you know, I want a Sega Genesis. And they're like, oh, well, don't you have a Nintendo? Said, yeah, but Sega Genesis is 16-bit. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know. They had no idea, but it's got to be better. Absolutely. <laughs> blast processing is nothing to mess with. Mm-hmm. So you obviously had this the uh, NES. Did you have Atari? I did twenty six hundred. Okay. Um, I had Frogger. Yep. Uh, I want to say it was called Galactic Pinball. Uh, but the big one that I had, naturally, that I had at the right age at the right time, uh, was ET. Nice, the worst game ever in Atari. Yeah, the infamously famous yes uh, ET. The one that they buried in a landfill in Nevada and just dug up about three years ago. <laughs> right, and they're selling them for, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars they're going for now, but... I bet I've still got a copy of that game. Yeah, E.T., there's not much I remember. Like, I've gone back and I've watched videos of you know people playing it, and when I was that young, I mean, I was probably, like, I don't know four or five maybe when I was rocking the Atari. So my, my memories are very foggy, but all I really remember from ET was every time there was a counter at the top and every movement you made, whether you walked or you raised your head up and down, it depleted this number at the top. And when the number hits zero ET dies. (laughs) Um, and of course the game was famous or infamous, I guess I should say for, uh, you falling into these stupid pits. Yes. That's kind of the, that and the, the cop, uh, in the all black with the top hat chasing you around. Those are the oh, two yeah. things that people famously remember from this. Yeah, where the hell did the top hat? I, didn't, I don't remember seeing a, a cop in a top hat in the movie. No, I think they stole him from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah, another great one. I never could get the damn whip thing to work right. Where you whip uh, s- yeah, swinging from Indiana Jones you're yeah, talking about? yeah. Yeah, and the Atari, that, that that game was just a mess. I mean, I would say that, you know, Indiana Jones on the Atari was far worse of a game than E.T. I mean, everything in that game was just, I mean, Cryptic doesn't even begin to describe that game. No. What was the best game that you played on, on Atari? Your favorite game? Probably, I would say either E.T., simply because I was a kid and E.T. was big at the time. Yeah. Um, and I just forced myself to like it because that was one of the things when you were that young is you had two or three games and whether they were good or bad, it was better than the alternative of nothing. Right. So you enjoyed them. Um, outside of E.T., Pitfall was uh, Pitfall was good. Was a favorite of mine. I got to say my favorite one was Joust. That was okay. a fun freaking game. Did you ever play that? Sure. Riding the backs of the ostriches and stuff like that. That was yep. fun, man. That was a really cool game. And the other one was, um, I think it was called like 1948 or something like that. And basically you were an airplane. And it was like an overhead view. You know, you're flying the airplane and you're going, you got to blast through bridges and and shoot down other planes and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, like a vertical shooter. Yeah. And I mean, those those games still exist today. Yeah, and they're, and they're hot. I mean, they're hot games today. In fact, uh, you know, with all the emulators and stuff they got out now, there's there's a huge comeback, as we mentioned before, with a lot of these retro games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you got, like, uh, Retron 5 uh, that plays, 
uh, NES, Super NES, Sega Genesis, Master System, uh, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, regular Game Boy, all of the games pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and it's got almost 100% compatibility rate, which means almost 100% of the games will work. Um, you know, the system's expensive and it's kind of shoddy construction, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, but the new thing that's come along now is this thing called EverDrive. Uh, and I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what it is, but you know, like the emulators is like the big hot button issue and ROMs and all that stuff. So, you know, your ROMs are basically the games and, uh, the emulator is the device in which plays the games, I believe. Yeah. It just decodes it basically. I have one for NES and it's got literally every NES game ever made, including all the Japanese games and, I don't think I could ever go through all the games in a lifetime. Oh, no, there's, I mean... Even the dirty you, ones like Leisure Suit Larry and all that crap. Right. <laughs> yeah, you start getting back to that. I mean, I don't know how large the NES library was. I want to say it was close to 1,000 games. Um, yeah, I'd say. You're, you're probably right on that. <clears throat> but, you know, the and there weren't, I mean, there were plenty of bad games but as far as you know you like you fast forward you look at like the nintendo wii you know when that thing first came out and unless they the games were made by a ten, uh, nintendo themselves the the rest of the games that were on the platform were pretty much just garbage yeah i agree yeah but you know it, september uh this past september was a big month you know that was the 20th anniversary of playstation and it got me thinking because anyway, i was coming on this show you know, you're obviously all about retro toys and games and movies and whatnot. When do things officially become retro? Because if you look at, like, the original PlayStation and Nintendo 64, that's 20 years ago. Right. You know, are these things now considered retro? You know, I think it's all in perception. So, when I think of something that's retro, I look. I think of something that was from when I was a kid. And I think it's all in how you look at it. So you've got you've got the 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 PS1, you have the um the Nintendo 64. And I would say that kids now are looking back because well what when was PS1 released? It was like 90 uh September 9th, 1995. 95, okay. So um So I mean, you look back on that and and I mean, god, that was 20 years ago <laughs> right that was uh that was a long time ago and, and kids that played that now are in their at least mid to late 20s if not sure early. i mean figure you start playing games when you're four or five years old maybe right now you're talking 24 25 years old yeah they don't know the struggle adam they don't know the struggle <laughs> of the little box they had to plug into the back of the tv <laughs> i know with a screwdriver yeah yeah exactly Turn your stuff to channel three. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, everything... I mean, you look at that. In my viewpoint, I look at it like... If it's like pre-late 90s, I kind of consider it retro. Because that is my childhood, my teenage years. And that's all the stuff that I remember. Right. Um, you know, I don't really look at a, a GameCube... And say, "Well, that's retro. You know, that's that's old school." Because for me, it's not. But for kids that are, you know, a little bit younger than me, in probably five or ten years, you know, like my son, he actually no, I don't think he ever played my GameCube. But he might look back and say, "Oh, wow, yeah, that's that's pretty retro." Look at that! You look at that retro three sixty. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the funny thing is. You know, unless emulators get to that point, he'll never probably understand Retro 360 because with these systems, you go back to like the NES, the the Famicom, there's no moving parts. That's why to this day you can get used Nintendos and Super Nintendos and Segas that still work. Sure. You know, it's just the pin connectors. But I actually bought a PS1 recently. And I had to return it because the, the it didn't work. You know, it's got laser drives. You know, now we're talking CD technology. There's moving parts. And as time goes on, you're going to be hard-pressed to find these systems that still work. I mean, I have a PS4 
and already I've had it for since launch, and now the disk drive doesn't work anymore. Huh, really? Yeah, it's it's just there's just too many things going on in these things. Man. Um, they don't but, make in the last, that's for sure. I mean, it's yeah. just like I mean, they're they're computers. That's what they are, and within a, and they're designed to be obsolete within a year, two years tops. Right. Um, but you know, if we're talking retro from our perspective, then you know the Atari is a little is a little bit of an obtuse system, um, very rudimentary. Not you know, kind of boring. Uh, there's still some great games. I mean, you have your classics like Space Invaders, Pac-Man, and things like that. But the NES, I think, is where most kids started getting into the whole video game thing. So I got to know you had an NES, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what are your what are some of your favorite games from that system? Um, well, besides the typical Mario one and three, um, there was a there's a game called Life Force. Are you sure. familiar with this one? Uh, Konami, right? Yes. And that and Contra, I'd say, are my favorites. Um, I mean that dude, I played the crap out of Life Force. And me and my brother would sit down on two player, and you could do this since it was Konami, or no, was it Capcom, or was it Konami? No, it was Konami. Konami. They had the up, up, down, down, up, up, down, down, left, right. Yeah. Yep. So you could do, you could get the ninety nine guys, and you could beat the game within, you know, if you had two people, you can beat it within just a couple hours. So we would sit there at night, and we would see how many times we could beat it. You know, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And yeah, get, it had that uh, that crazy uh, like snake. On the front of it, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I mean those those games, like Konami games, the old school ones. Those and Ultra, you know, Ultra was actually a different brand of Konami because um, back in the day, NES would only allow a publisher five games per year. So what you would see are companies that start forming fake companies under the same umbrella to get more games out. So, uh, you know, I, I believe the original Metal Gear. I think was under uh, Ultra, but that's mm. actually Konami, oh, um, wow. and that's how they would get around doing a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I but yeah, life life force is life force is a great choice. And I recently found out too, and I actually found it at one of the toy shows that I went to. Um, it's a game called Gradius or Gradius, however you say it. Yep. And it was actually the prequel, or the you know, it was the predecessor to Life Force. So, you know, it's amazing as as an adult now. Because as a kid, all you knew was, this is a cool game, I like playing it, and it's fun. But now as an adult, you get to learn, you get to you know go back and, and relive your childhood and, and, and learn what, like some of the history of some of these games and some of these toys and stuff that you're, that you know, that you used to play with. And that's kind of one of the points of the show is to kind of educate and uh, relive your childhood a little bit. Yeah, I mean, going back... You know, going going back, I think is always important. You know, for whatever you're into, if you're into, uh, you know, Pokemon, or not, that's not a good example. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, right? The card game, the collectible card game, or Magic: The Gathering. Yeah. You know, you go back to what was the predecessor to that? Would have been Pogs, mm-hmm. right? All the kids would go and they'd collect their Pogs. You'd have the Slammers. Prior to Pogs, you had Marbles. Prior to Marbles, you had Jacks. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those without jacks and bouncing the goofy red ball and picking up those weird metal doodads, you wouldn't have gotten what we have today, mm-hmm. which is, you know, whether it's, I don't know, Magic the Gathering cards or or uh, even like what, what Nintendo is doing now with like Amiibos, this whole collecting thing, um, trading card games, the X-Men cards, I don't know if you remember those. Mm-mm, no, um, it wasn't a game. They had a game, but the the more popular thing with my friends was we'd go into uh, Spencer's, yeah, Spencer Gifts, and we'd buy packs of X Men trading cards, and they were super artistic, and and they had like the shiny foil lining on them. Uh, you know, and you just collect them, and they—it just was a small, like a brief bio of each character, and really killer art on each of the cards. So then we'd get together at the playground, 
And, of course, me being me, I'm always into the more obscure characters. You know, oh, you, ha- I, you have an Omega Red? I'll tell you what, I'll trade you, you know, Master Mold for Omega Red. Um, and all these collectible things. I mean, that's what's cool about going back is you can trace the roots yeah. all the way back. Um, what was the first NES game that you beat? Or did you beat any of them? Um... No, I'd, I'd have to say it's probably Super Mario Brothers. Okay. Because that was probably the game until Mario 3 came out. Super Mario Brothers was the game um, that I played the most. And then and then I got Life Force and Mario 3, I think, about the same time. And then I just kind of, I didn't really play Mario Brothers again. So Right. I think, uh, when I think back, I don't know if it's the first game I beat, but one of my prouder moments when I earned my stripes as a gamer was uh, I beat Ninja Gaiden. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, or if you've watched The Wizard, Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Oh, but, The Wizard. Uh, Gosh, that's a, good, that's a good movie. Oh, The Wizard? Yeah. yeah. So it's basically an advertisement for Mario 3. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was cool. Uh, I mean, that's what, I mean, that led me to buy Mario 3. I still oh, remember wow. the night that my dad rented Mario 3 for me, and it was like a Sunday night, or he rented it for the weekend or whatever, and I stayed up all night playing it, and I begged and pleaded him the next day to let me stay home, so I could just so I could play Mario Three. Well, that was—I mean—that's a whole other. You know, if, I mean, talk about going back, like renting games. Yeah. You know, and just that whole process because your parents were probably going to rent a movie, and you'd go and you'd look at the dusty video game aisle, and all you had to go on was the picture on the front and the pictures on the back, maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or what you, you know, if you were fortunate enough to pick up the um, Nintendo Power magazine, you might have seen some screenshots or something of it in there. But other than that, you had no idea. Um, Yeah, I went back and uh, recently, uh, probably a couple years ago, I tried playing Ninja Gaiden again. And, you know, this is one of those skills that uh, apparently doesn't last with you. Um, it's not like riding a bike, Adam, because I, I couldn't, I mean, I think Ninja Gaiden is only eight levels maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember it was hard to beat as a kid. I mean, the, the game came out in 88, you know, and, and the, the coolest thing about the game was it was one of the first, maybe the first game that had like cut scenes in between each level, uh, that kind of looked like anime and it had killer, killer music. So that was like that that carrot on a stick to keep it going. And I go back and play it now and those skills do not translate well. I mean, I'm, uh, if there's anyone listening who, who plays modern games, you know, I'm going through and I'm, I'm taking down Bloodborne. Uh, and you know, I've taken down dark souls, but I cannot, I cannot beat Ninja Gaiden. Um, you know, another hard one that I beat when I was a kid that I can't do now is ghosts and goblins from, uh, Oh, yeah. From uh, Capcom. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts off with you and your lady friend having a having kind of a taboo meeting in a in a graveyard because nobody's wearing any clothes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then here comes the devil and he comes down, kidnaps the girl. And you got to go through six levels of just sheer misery only to beat the game and then find out that, no, you didn't really beat it. You got to beat it again. Yeah, and one of those classic NES. It's like the like in the movies where you watch this really great movie and you're like, "How is this going to end?" And then the guy wakes up and oh, it was just a dream. Like, ah, uh, just can you make twelve levels instead of making me do six impossibly <laughs> hard levels twice? You know, I've found that out too with Mario Three. Going back now, playing it again, it's a hard. I don't yeah. know if I just don't have the attention span for it now, or or what. But it's it's still a fun game. But it, I think a lot of it is too is, I, not being able to save your game. Right. Well, that's why these games are so short. I mean, if you look at speed runs, uh, I talked about it at the top of the show. Ducktales. Yeah. Right. A famous, famous NES game where you play a Scrooge, you go to like the moon in Transylvania, and all these places, and you have this pogo stick mechanic. You can beat the game, I think, in under an hour. Really, I love yeah. that game. That was one that. I never had that game, but my one of my best friends in 
elementary school had it, and I remember going over at his house and playing it all the time. Loved it. Yeah, it was a great game. I mean, <laughs> the Mega Man games, you know, those are also infamously challenging. But you could beat most of if you know the order to go in, you can beat most of the Mega Man games in an hour or less. Really? Yeah, the, the, you go on and you start watching these speed runs. They're not cheating. They're not using, you know, they're just, you realize once you understand the mechanics of the game and understand, like, each pixel and yeah. you get hit intentionally to, you know, move through this quicker and do that. And obviously, you know, with Mega Man, you got the, the robot masters that are all, it's like a rock, paper, scissors game, you know, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but you know, Quick Man is weak to Guts Man or whatever the whatever the order is. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you figure out the jumping off point, and that was the coolest thing about these games, especially Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. By far, would be you and I are both playing Legend of Zelda. Then you and I meet at the schoolyard, and we're just you know shooting the breeze with each other. And you tell me, hey, you know, I got the candle. Oh yeah, I got the candle too. Oh, well, did you know if you burn the third bush on the top screen, it reveals stairs and you can find a new sword? Like, no. Yeah, that's why you get the candle to burn the bushes. Then you run home. Like, uh, Adam's telling me all this wacky stuff about I could burn this bush and find... Holy crap, he's right. Yeah, that, a... that sense of community discovery. Yeah, before really the internet. Awesome. You either had to get it through word of mouth or you had to buy the Nintendo Power Magazine or they had those walk-through books that you could buy. Yeah, or you could call Nintendo at 1-900-NINTENDO and pay, and pay $35 a minute to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Um, well, you were we, we were both Sega guys. I didn't have a Super NES. Uh, my brother, he got his Sega, and, um, and he got a bunch of games with it. So what was your favorite Sega game? Um... Man, I have a couple. Uh, so, believe it or not, at the time I was, but when I look back as an adult, the Sonic games weren't really that good. No. Um, any Sonic game, the first level is like the showpiece marquee. Right. And then the game kind of falls apart. And if you need any proof of this, put any Sonic game up against Super Mario World on Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't hold a torch. Um so looking back, the games I was most fond of, I would say uh, Rocket Knight Adventures. Um, you played as like a like a possum, I think, in knight armor, and you had a jetpack, and you fought pigs. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Who thought of this stuff? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Lots of uh, lots of questionable substances. Right. Lots um, of late nights with coffee. Quote, yes, <laughs> lots and lots of coffee. Uh, uh, um, Dynamite, uh, Comic Zone, which arguably is not good of a game, but it was pretty visually impressive. Okay. And uh, I, that's when I was big into the sports games. You know, so, uh, Sega had all the had the lock on all the sports games. Um. Ninja Turtles, uh, the Manhattan Project. That one was holds a that was a, a soft spot one, right? in my heart. I think that was the second one, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And uh, James Pond. That's another one I always like. I do remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, you were a, you were the special agent fish. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny because as a Sega kid. I look back and it's like there weren't really, there weren't really very many good games. On uh, the, the Sega was one of those systems where I convinced myself that I liked it because I kind of I made my bed. I'm not getting a Super Nintendo. I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of a blunder of a purchase. The only purchase I could think of in my history that would be worse than that was when I saved up my allowance for months and I bought a Virtual Boy. Oh man! Wow. Yeah. Did you go? Uh, are you cross-eyed? Uh, no, but I'll tell you what, I, I, if I see anything the color red, I get an instant headache. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what about, what about you for Sega? Mine was, uh, Kid Chameleon, which is a great game. If you've never played it, you gotta play it. You can find it on an emulator and play it. Um, there's like 200 levels in this game. 
But it's one of those, if you know the trick, you can go from like the third level all the way to the last level. What's it called again? Kid Chameleon. Oh, is that the one where you could become a samurai or like a Jason? Yes. Yeah. You throw the yeah. axes, and then you got the samurai. You can, like, bounce on his sword. Um, the only memory I have of that game, uh, well, I have two memories. One, I was in, like, a, it almost looked like Bowser's Castle with fire everywhere, and I kept transforming into a fly and yes. dying. And you can crawl um, up the walls, and you can kind of fly yep. around. Yeah. And uh, there was one boss that I remember, and that was, like, a stick with, like, three heads floating on it that would rotate. Yes, and they look like and Indian you, guys. Like little you take Indian them out guys. and their eyeballs fly out of their head? Yes. Yeah. That, yeah that those was, are the only memories I have of that game. Man, that is that is one of those games that I can still, because I've got it on emulator. Um, I need to find it for, I don't think I have it for my Sega. I need to find one. Um, but you can sit down and you can play that game all night long. It had a really good soundtrack too, right? Yeah, it did. It was, uh, it was like heavy metal. Yeah, I mean the Sega... You know, again, you know, with sound wasn't that great compared to SNES. But when you're talking like rock tracks, like it had that real grungy kind of uh, metal sound to it. Yeah. Um, it you know, Mortal Kombat sounded better on Sega than it did Super Nintendo. Hmm, I never thought about that. Um, the other one that I have is Shinobi 3. Yep. That's a great game. I love that game. And uh, that is one that I do have for my Sega, and I I play that one quite a bit. I love it. You can uh, get the lightning to strike you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Shinobi's actually referenced in the original Ninja Gaiden. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a cross-reference of... I mean, you got Ryu Hayabusa, who's the main character. You still got Ryu from Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father's friend, Ken, who's from uh, Street Fighter. And then... You're trying to find uh, Shinobi's statue or something like that, so it's just a big. Oh, that's cool! I never th- a big melting pot of ninja references. Yeah, and then then you had some crap games like uh, what was a Tasmanian Devil one. Um, oh, all the Looney Tunes games. Yeah, those were that one was pretty bad. The Chester a- the Cheetah. I never played that one. Uh, same thing, just with Chester the Cheetah. Cool spot. Oh yeah, cool spot for sure. Oh yeah, that game was yeah the seven hot up, trash. seven up dot, and then uh oh what was what was some of the other ones, um, Rin and Stimpy one that was a hard game that was really hard. Uh, I didn't have I had Ren and Stimpy on the Game Gear, um, but I didn't have it on the Genesis. I'll tell I'm trying you what, to think the Game Gear I had I had uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yes, yep, that was a good one too. And uh, the only other licensed game I can think of off the top of my head that I had would be Jurassic Park. Yeah, that one that was a pretty decent game. My brother used to play that one a lot. You always play as the raptor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the other games that he had. Did you, uh, going back to the Nintendo, did you ever play like any of the Simpsons games? Like Bart was it? Yeah, um, Bart versus the Space Mutants. That yeah. game, you know, that's another. I mean, NES is classically cryptic with how they deal with everything. I mean, there's no explanation for stuff. Uh, you know, there were just parts in that level where if you didn't do things in the right order, you, you couldn't beat the level. And yeah. there's no explanation of why or how or what. Uh, you know, there was certain instances where you'd have to like shoot a rocket at a window. Uh, to change it the right, I, the whole thing is to change things from the color red to purple or purple to red. Yeah. You know, so you're thinking you just have your can of spray paint easy enough. You go through and you spray paint everything, but then you'd have something up in a window and you're like, well, how do I get to that? And you're trying to, oh, you get the rocket. Okay, well, you can buy one rocket. So you fire the rocket and you missed and that's it. Now you're done. Now you just sit there. Um, and you had Bart versus the world, I think. Yep. Yeah, I remember that one too. Um, did you play any of the Castlevania games? Sure, yeah. Um, Castlevania 1, uh, I skipped 2, played 3, and then, uh, I mean, if you're going to talk Castlevania, then we got to fast forward to the PlayStation, because in my opinion, Symphony of the Night is not only the single greatest PlayStation game 
to date ever made, but in my opinion, the greatest Castlevania game ever made. Um, but yeah, the original never beat it. Um, never even got very far. I think I got to maybe the third world. Mm. Yeah, it's, that was tough. I, uh, I, I didn't really play that one a whole lot, but I, I do remember it. Well, that one was just cool because it had, you know, the whole cast of classic monsters. You know, you had the mummies and Frankenstein and of course, you know, culminating in Dracula at the end. Um, and those tropes, I mean, Medusa, uh, the Grim Reaper, pretty much everything that nightmares are made out of started from one and they continue straight through the entire series. Yeah. So what was your next, what was your next console that you had after the Sega? So I went right from Sega. I had a Game Gear and a Virtual Boy, and then I went right to the PS One. I tell you, the Game Gear that was a that was a good system for a handheld. I remember my my brother had that when I was a Game Boy guy. I had the original, and I had the it's called the Handy Boy. Do you remember that? It was Handy a Handy Boy. It was a little thing that you slide over the screen and you pop it out, and it has a magnifying glass, and then it's got two speakers that yes. open up, and it's got the light. So it was like surround sound of this crappy 8-bit music with a magnifying yep. glass and a light that'll blind you, but you can play it in the car. Um, so anyway, b- back to the back to what we were talking about. The the Game Gear was awesome because it was, you know, it was color screen and it was backlit so you could actually play it. Although I will say the thing ate up batteries like you wouldn't believe. Oh, I'll tell you what, the Game Gear was the reason I started investing in rechargeable batteries. Yeah. Uh, that that thing, yeah, it was just a beast. And then you, then I had the crazy idea of saving up money and getting the TV tuner for it. Um, you could actually watch TV on it. Really? I didn't I didn't know that was I didn't know they had those. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh-huh. it worked for crap, but theoretically, yeah, you could watch TV on it. Um I didn't have too many games for the Game Gear. I had Ren and Stimpy. I had a couple Sonic games. Uh, that might have been it. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking back now, historically, I think probably the Game Boy is the superior system, simply for the library of games. Oh, tons. You, you ever? Uh, do you have a Slackers or like a V Stock or anything like that in your in your? town where they sell vintage games and not a drop okay which is which is probably for the best to be honest with you yeah you'd be spending your paychecks there for sure um because the places around here that have those that sell those games i mean they have these like big three inch binders and they have a whole wall of these big three inch binders and it's nothing but uh uh game boy games it's amazing the library. I did not realize how many how many games that the, the, that system had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had some. I mean, they had you know their fair share of garbage, but uh, I mean, some of the best ports, you know, went to Game Boy, and it was the only place you could play Tetris on the go. Right. Yeah. And you know, as a kid, Tetris never really interested me, but you know, Tetris is one of those games that I mean, they still make them to this day. Sure. Yeah, I I bought a Game Boy uh, about a year ago. Within the last year, I bought another Game Boy, and I bought it came with the Super Mario World, which is a pretty cool game. And uh, about a month or so ago, I sat down and and I'm like, I'm just gonna see how far I can get. I beat that game in like just a little over half an hour. I think there's like five levels in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that is the problem. Is you know, there's. I mean. The NES was restrictive as it is. Then you take that and you you make it pocket sized, quote unquote, and uh, you know the memory capabilities are just non-existent with that system. Yeah, there was a there was an Excite Bike type of game I think I had for for my old one, and then uh, but Battletoads was probably my favorite on the Game Boy. Battletoads, yeah, the bane of my existence <laughs> on the regular NES. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never played um, it on the NES. I hear that it is one of the hardest games. So, there's uh, a YouTube guy, uh, Angry Video Game Nerd. Um, I think the actual name of the page is Cinemassacre. And he's got a buddy 
they do all retro games. The joke is there's a guy in the 21st century who's going back and complaining about NES games. Um, for adults only, I will say. <laughs> uh, but he's got a buddy, and his buddy's name is Bootsy. And this guy can beat Battletoads. And wow. for anyone who doesn't know or, or whatnot, uh, Battletoads has this infamous stage called the Turbo Tunnel, where you get on these little motorcycles... And uh, you have to hit these jumps and avoid these walls. And it goes so fast that I didn't think a human being could actually do it. Um, and then to my surprise, I never beat that level. But to my surprise, after watching this guy play it, the levels get harder and harder and harder. And it is just wow. a grueling. If you could beat Battletoads, then you can. You never have to play a game again. You're like the guy at the roller skating rink that never actually has to roller skate. <laughs> You know, you just kind of yeah. hang out by the hot dog stand. Yeah, I don't think I ever beat the, the Game Boy game, but uh, I don't think it was near as hard as the NES game was. But, uh, yeah, so after the uh, the Sega, I guess the last official retro system I got was the PS1. Nice. And uh, the PS1 was, you know, because when I was gaming, it would be just kind of like a, on a rainy day or if I was sick or there, nobody was available to hang out with. Um but the PS1, where I was like, this is something I like to do. Uh, I remember probably right around the launch of it, uh, I had a friend who, his parents both made a lot of money, and uh, he always had the latest gizmos and gadgets. And uh, he invites me over to his house, so my parents dropped me off, and he's like, I, I got a new system. I'm like, oh, what'd you get? He's like, oh, the Sony PlayStation. I'm thinking to myself, doesn't Sony make Walkmans? Like, what? What kind of game system could they make? So I go into his bedroom and I see this weird gray brick sitting next to his TV. And he turns it on and uh, I see a, a, a video of these two goofy looking guys climbing up into a jet. And the game was Warhawk. And, uh, you know, my mind was blown by this because going from Genesis to this fully 3d polygons the whole the whole nine yards and i was like you know what this is this is the system i need and uh you know so i tell my parents i need the system i need the system oh we can't afford it we can't afford it and then for christmas i finally got it and uh i got destruction derby and jumping flash with it nice uh destruction derby was um basically like a stock car racing game where you smash into each other. And it was, it was amazing because when you would smash into each other, you would actually see visual damage on your cars. You'd see pieces of the car flying off. Um, it was published by Psygnosis, who's now a defunct publisher, but I don't know what else they published, but this game was something else. And then Jumping Flash was a classic Japanese game where you climb inside of a gigantic robot rabbit and jump around shooting missiles at things. Uh, you know, Japanese people. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, what, what can you do? Uh, but, uh, and that was the system that, you know, I, I mean, for memories, it was it was that system and, and nothing else. Um, that system marked the first time I pre-ordered a game. Uh, I pre-ordered Resident Evil, which is probably hands down, bar none, my favorite game of all time, the original Resident Evil. I was going to say, if knowing you over the last few years and, and, and some of the shows that you've done and a lot of what you talked about, I know that that is probably one of the most influential games on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what got me into zombies. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. For me, it was Resident Evil. Uh, you know, I knew zombies were a thing, but I didn't really care about them. And then here I am playing this game with the lights off, you know, the volume up, and I'm I'm sitting in my room and I'm I'm walking through this creepy mansion and then all of a sudden the door bursts open and here comes a zombie and that that feeling that I got in the pit of my stomach I haven't had since uh since that game yeah you know with the the PS1 and the N64 so my next one after after the Sega was a we had the N64 uh which was absolutely amazing getting to see Mario in 3D that just it, it blew my mind, and it was so innovative. Um, but I think I think what sets those apart, and tell me if I'm wrong, is the fact that you went from the the NES, Super NES, the Sega, 
which were all those games were basically based off of um uh how do I say this? Not routines, but um what's the word I'm thinking? Patterns. It was all set on patterns. And then you have something like that where, well, I can go this way or I can go that way. You know, and and, and the outcome of the game will de- depend on what I do here. Yeah, I mean, to to its detriment for both Nintendo and the PlayStation, once they opened that door, and especially with Nintendo figuring out the 3D world with, with Super Mario, they never went back. They never went back to 2D side-scrolling classic video games until now. Um, you know, and that was part of part, part of a detriment, I would say, to those systems. But it's one of those things, like, once you open this door and you go through it, there's no going back. Uh, and the N64 and the PS1 both will probably not be looked back at very fondly because most of their games were ugly. Yeah. Um but that was kind of like going through the Renaissance and, and giving us the crazy, crazy stuff that we have now. Um, you know, N64 has the fog, right? Every game has the fog. Goldeneye, uh, Perfect Dark, um, Mario, Ocarina of Time. Every N64 game, Castlevania 64, they all have this mysterious fog because they couldn't figure out draw distances and and getting more information on the screen. So you have this ambiguous fog floating around. Whereas on the flip side, PlayStation figured that out, but their games were ugly. Yeah. I mean, some of the ugliest games ever made are on the PlayStation. Uh, So it was a real interesting, like you said, breaking the pattern of level one, you go get to the end level two, you go and get to the end level three here. You know, Mario, you're jumping through paintings. And in any order, almost any order that you can think of, um, you know, Legend of Zelda, same, you know, same same deal. But like you said, it, it broke that pattern. And it wouldn't be until almost 20 years later where they went back to the old old school way of doing it. Yeah. Did you see the video or the, yeah, the video that I posted on the page? Um, anybody wants to check it out, go to uh, facebook.com slash MOT Retroverse um, with the creators of Mario Brothers, Shigeru Miyamoto and uh, uh, what's his name? Gunpai mm-hmm. Yokoi. They were talking about, there again, it, it goes back to what I was saying about not realizing this as a kid and now that you're an adult, you learn more about the history of these. The thought process that was gone, that, that was, went into the first level of Super Mario Brothers. It's amazing. It's it's like a it's like an eight or ten minute video, but they go in depth about every little thing that was put into the first level of Super Mario Brothers because that wasn't actually the first level they created. They actually made like the fifth world first, and then they went back and they said, "Well, their whole their whole idea was to be able to kind of show off Mario in every way that they could." Show how he can jump and show, kind of you, you with, on that first level, you learn, you're learning all the stuff that Mario can do and how to play the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look back at it as an adult and, and you've kind of experienced everything, and you look back at it, you realize that every screen, every pixel is intentionally put there. Um, and anyone who's our age, and probably most people who aren't, they understand the very first section, the very first screen of Mario one, mm-hmm. where you have the blocks where the mushroom comes out. And then that one Goomba that's just strolling by, you know, and most kids, the first time they play it, run right into that Goomba and die. Then yeah. you jump and then you hit it. And then you jump and the mushroom comes out and it goes the wrong way and you miss it. And then the level progresses from there. And, you know, I mean, you listen to, and you think about how much time they put in to each, part of that game and what do you have you have a master classic that surpassed system genre generation i mean anyone to this day could pick up the original mario and have fun with it yeah and you know that's kind of the problem with things today is they don't have time to sit down for days weeks months and plot out every single aspect of the game he he was even talking about they were trying to decide which 
which bad guy, I guess you could say, to put first in the game. So the first bad guy that you come across, is it going to be the Goomba or is it going to be the, the turtle? And at first they were talking about having the turtle, but then he's like, well, but then you jump on it and you hit the hit the shell, it could go down and come back at you. He wanted to make it simple because he wanted you to learn, hey, I okay, I got this figured out. I got to jump on top of the Goomba to crush him. Oh, I see that little box up there with a the question mark. I'm going to go up there and jump my head against it and hit it. So he wanted people to, to be able to, with no gaming experience, to, to come in and, and learn how this game goes simply. And, and pretty much by the end of that first level, you've got it all figured out. Okay, here's how I make Mario run fast. Here's how I make him jump. Here's what I need to jump over. Um, it's, it's amazing the thought process that went into it. Right. And like I said, and then the result of that is this, master, this masterpiece that, that will forever transcend time and be looked back. I mean, that game is what saved video game industry. Yeah. You know, I mean, that game single-handedly pulled the video game industry out from the brink thanks to Atari and, and E.T. Um, yeah, it's... it's I, I, there's not much you can say about Mario. It's just a masterpiece, you know, and it always will be. Um, and it's funny because, you know, he Miyamoto specifically is always very conscious about how other markets will perceive the game. That's why we got the Mario 2 that we got. Yeah, which was... you know crap <laughs> oh you didn't like it no i didn't like it i didn't like it it's um well, it's he, charming so you probably didn't like zelda 2 either no I, I i never was really big into the zelda games um mario 2 didn't really interest me too much and and even in that in that same video he even talks about how mario 2 was kind of like the redhead the stepchild of of their creations and that mario 3 is really what they wanted mario 2 right. to be they just hadn't hadn't come up with it yet. You know, they didn't have it perfected and ready by the time they had to release it. Right. The original Mario Two that released in Japan uh, is known here as Super Mario: The Lost Levels, um, and it was essentially just mar- more of Mario One, but intensely difficult. And I believe Miyamoto and the rest of the Nintendo were like, oh, this is too hard for Western audiences. So they took a new IP that they had, this little game called Doki Doki Panic, and they just slapped Mario skins on it, changed a couple of the gameplay mechanics, and you had Mario 2. I mean, Bowser, who's been in every single Mario game in history, is not in Mario 2. Uh, you have oh, a guy, I think his name is Wart. Uh, it was just a big frog with a crown. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's not it's not a Mario game. It's Doki Doki Panic, but it's just got Mario skin slapped on it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't ever thought of that. Well, man, this has been very insightful tonight, and I hope that. All of our listeners got a lot out of this, and uh, we're coming right up on the one-hour mark, so I think we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, I want to thank you, man, for coming on and being my first guest. You've been you you've been a huge help in, in getting this project together, just in general. You know, you've given me a lot of ideas. You've <laughs> given me a lot of inspiration. You know, this was something that I've started about six months ago and kind of put on the back burner, and then you and I had a conversation, and it really kind of re-sparked my interest in it. Um, you know, when I left uh, left my, my other show, and, and I just, you know, this is going to kind of scratch that itch I have for, for podcasting. Cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, this is, I, I didn't really go too deep, but I kind of did a search for other shows like this, and uh, you know, there really aren't too many things out there. Um, and, you know, if you're, you're talking the 80s and the 90s, I mean, what an awesome time. Yeah, I made the joke at the beginning. Why is everything in triangles and fluorescent colors? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. the, the the '90s, especially. I mean, I'm I'm 32, so I was a '90s kid. Um, I was really little in the '80s, but '90s is where I flourished, and everything I, about this show uh, just just scratches that itch. Well, thank you. So man. It, it's it's awesome to have it out here. Yeah, I appreciate it, and I'm definitely going to have you back on. Many more times, I hope we can talk all kinds of different stuff from from our childhoods. Um, you know, you were a '90s kid. I was, I was kind of that weird in between, like '80s, '90s, because I was 
alive through the entire 80s decade, but I I was really young, so I didn't really... There's a lot of stuff that I don't remember about it. And then 90s was kind of like my pre-teens and teenagers, you know? So, like, a lot of stuff, like like Ninja Turtles is one of those things. It's like, it was kind of just right after my time. I never really got into them, but my little brother did. I'm drinking out of a Ninja Turtles cup right now. How are you? Drinking your juice? You know what the cool thing is about right now? I know we're going long, but oh, I'll keep fine. this short. Uh, have you seen the new Ninja Turtles cartoon? I have, yeah. I watched it a little bit. So the coolest thing about it is you can tell now that people who are making this cartoon, or I guess this 3D animation or whatever, were fans of the original. Yeah. There's a lot of love letters, and that's what's going to start happening with everything that we used to love. Yeah. Uh, is the people who really got into it. I mean, one day when we talk about movies, I can't do it anymore, but there was a time, Adam, where I could recite, I'm not kidding, the entirety of The Breakfast Club, word yes. for word, every character. <laughs> I was that way with the Batman movie. because Tim Burton? Yes, because yeah. I watched it over and over and over again. I mean, I, I bet, and then, and then when it came out on video... I ended up getting the video, and every day after, I, when I got home from school, I'd put it in, and I'd watch it at least once or twice. So, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. and it, Our kids will never understand, understand that. I mean, they have their favorite movies and this and that, but I think the, the attention span of this generation is, is so short that it's like, okay, you know, I like it, but okay, here's something new. Yeah, I mean, you know, even though I'm older, I tend to kind of keep up with current trends, and one trend that I've picked up that a lot of younger people do is I don't really watch TV anymore. Mm-mm. I do Hulu, YouTube, and Netflix. And that's pretty much where I consume most of my media. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. I mean, we don't even have cable anymore. We have antenna TV, and then we have Netflix and Hulu, and that's it. And that's all my son ever wants to watch anyway is Netflix. Right. Because there's so much. But but they've got all the old shows on there now. Yep. Um, the original He-Man series is on Hulu. It's amazing. Masters of the Universe. Yeah, the the movie Masters of the Universe. But at the, least uh, as of this recording, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I watched that the other night with my son because he he sat down. He's watched the He Man cartoon, which, like I said, is on Hulu with me. And then I found that it's on Masters of the Universe is on Netflix, I think. And we watched that, and he 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 loves it. He loves it, which isn't really. I don't know. It's He Man, but it's not. But we won't get into that. Um, yeah. But it's 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 really cool to see a lot of these older shows being coming back out because um, then you can kind of recreate your own Saturday morning cartoons. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched almost the entirety of the uh, '90s uh, X Men cartoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's watched that too. We've sat down and watched that together. That was that was one of my favorites back in the day. I yeah. Love that. And that cartoon holds the definitive version of apocalypse let me yeah let me say that again the definitive version of apocalypse okay <laughs> i'm just saying because i've seen what they're doing with apocalypse now and oh i got you the, uh, yeah with the movies and stuff yeah 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 well they gotta they gotta make it modern they got to uh you know because yeah, granted some of that was a little cheesy some of the stuff they did in those cartoons so they've got to kind of modernize it and make it a little more dramatic. So they've, you know, they got to change. Well, Fox change has characters. an awesome track record. So oh yeah, Fox. I'm sure the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So once yeah. they do their third Fantastic Four movie, they might actually get it right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, they just need to hang it up. I think they're done. <laughs> so. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here. Is you got anything you gotta want to uh, plug or? No, just uh, on Twitter, at MadMock, and uh, I sometimes host a zombie survival podcast called Z-Pock Nation. Yeah. Uh, Not for the faint of heart. No, not for the Um, children. It is explicit. Very. Let it be known, Adam, that the one sensor beep in this episode did not come from me. Isn't that amazing? I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Just be honest with me. Were you sitting there with a pad and a paper uh, and and a pen waiting for me to slip up and write down the time? Yeah, actually, I kind of was. (laughs) <laughs> uh and then the other project i do is uh it's kind of getting off the ground now trying to figure out how i want to do it but uh beyond the fallout mm-hmm. which is a radio drama from uh 
the Fallout universe where we kind of take stories that don't exist and kind of create stories based on that universe. So that's awesome, man. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm actually the only actor in it, so I do all the voices. I do pretty much everything. Uh, and using the power of editing, I changed my voice so you can't really tell it's me unless you know me. But that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I'm hand it to yeah. you. So. So. All right, brother. All right, well, uh, let's get out of here. You can find you can find me at uh, on Twitter at mot retro. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, go hit like all that crap on our on our Facebook page, facebook dot com slash mot retroverse. Uh, you can email us at mot retroverse at gmail dot com, and uh, that's about it. And just remember, there's uh, nothing wrong with living in the past. Oh! me, Mario! Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.